Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Uh, like I said, just a welcome. Uh, forgive me, my voice is a little bit hoarse. Uh, I was screaming at the TV last night. Um, uh, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Um, for 15 minutes and then we didn't have to shout anymore. Um, <laughs> Uh, sorry if there are any Scottish people in the room. Um, sorry, guys. I see you. <laughs> um, um, yeah, anyway, moving off the rugby or we'll get stuck here for a minute or two. Um, look, before I jump into what I want to actually speak about um, the, this afternoon, I just want to say thanks to those of you who were involved in pulling our wells off uh, last week. And um, so we, we started uh, three wells in Dromore, Old Warren and Magabry. This is one of the reasons why we need a details person, right? Because we were talking about this for a number of weeks, about how Encounter on a Wednesday night was moving into local expressions where we were going to gather to worship and pray in three different locations, in Old Warren, in Dromore, and in Magabry. And then people showed up with umbrellas for the prayer walk. And we were like, no, no, not a prayer walk. It's like a prayer meeting. You know, we thought we said that, but obviously not clear enough. So um, we do have a, a slide. Uh, Cassie, throw up the next one of some of the setup and some of the guys that were in these, these three locations. Here's one of the things that's, that's really, really important is that we're in a moment of expansion as a community. And uh, we're learning to take responsibility for our communities before Jesus. And that's really important, uh, that the best prayers we pray are specific prayers. But the hardest prayers to pray are specific prayers, because when you pray specific prayers, you open yourself up for specific disappointments. And that's one of the reasons why we tend to lean into praying big general prayers, because if you pray big general prayers, you never find out if God actually hears your prayers or not. Um, at least that's how we feel. Uh, now, the reality is God promises us to answer our prayers. We don't always get what we want, um, but God does answer our prayers. And so we're learning as a community to pray specifically um, into these three locations, but not limited to these uh, three locations. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said this in his uh, I've Been to the Mountaintop speech night before he died. He said, it's all right to talk about long white robes over yonder in all of its symbolism, but ultimately people want some suits and dresses and shoes to wear down here. It's all right to talk about streets flowing with milk and honey, but God's commanded us to be concerned about the slums down here and his children who can't eat three square meals a day. It's all right to talk about the new Jerusalem, but one day God's preacher must talk about the new New York, the new Atlanta, the new Philadelphia, the new Los Angeles, the new Memphis, Tennessee. This is what we have to do. James has been talking to us for months about how every move of God is preceded by a move of prayer. And I, I don't know uh, when we think globally, but when we think locally, like our communities are not in good shape. There is not a public service in Northern Ireland at the moment that is in anything other than freefall. And we can complain about that, we can moan about that, we can blame politicians about that, um, or we can do what we can, which is to find ourselves before Jesus in prayer and then willing to act and do whatever he says in, in response. And so we, it's, it's, not our, uh, it's not our hope that uh, in six months' time we're still in these uh, three locations. We long to see these things pop up in St. Field and carried off in Hillsborough and Moira and Crumlin, that wherever you call home, wherever you live, that you would find your voice there 
um, that you would say, I have a shed <laughs> or, uh, or a venue or something that we could uh, gather in to pray for that community. And so uh, until we get those other locations live, though, we would love you to join us in these ones. And uh, that's a real Jesus thing to do, actually, that while you're longing for something to change in your own life, investing in that change in someone else's life unlocks all kinds of things. That's a whole other talk. I'm not going to get into that today. Um, but if you don't live in one of these areas, can I really encourage you on the first Sunday of November to join with us in these locations? All the details will be on the website. Um, but we'd love you to join us as we learn to pray specifically uh, for the places that we live and the places that we love. Sound good? You're all in? You said yes. It's recorded. Um, wonderful. So um, I, I want to um, probably firstly apologize to the visitors in the room for what I'm going to do next, because um, this is not normally what we do in a Sunday gathering where we teach through a passage of, of Scripture. We're in the middle of kind of a long conversation in this community about what is the church. Um, and as part of that, we're moving towards a moment at the end of November where we're going to invite us all to freshly commit to this thing before Jesus and each other. And we were trying to find an appropriate place for this particular talk where it's just really an explanation of what's coming and there was no appropriate place, but it needs done. And so that's kind of what this is. So this is a wee bit of a kind of lift the bonnet, look at the engine of what's kind of important to us, what do we value and how do we uh, hope to lead you as a community over the next kind of 12 uh, months. Hopefully I can uh, rattle through this uh, quickly and it's not too boring for, for those of you who are, who are, uh, who are visiting. Um, we've been talking about uh, this question, what is the church? Um, or why is the church important? We've been talking about how our language betrays us when we think about church. Um, because there's nowhere in the New Testament you will find uh, the writers there talk about the church as a building. But whenever we think of church or we talk about church and we give people directions, go past the shop, you'll see a big church on the left and turn right. Um, to some of the New Testament followers of Jesus, that would be bonkers. What do you mean you'll see the church and then take a right? Because what we mean is the big old building with stained glass windows. It's one of the reasons why, actually, you'll see our sign is down at the minute. Anyone like the paint job? It's good, isn't it? Um, freshening things up. Well, our sign normally says LVV Church Venue. Because this is not the church. This building is not the church. The church is not a building. It's a people with purpose. Church was always supposed to be understood as a people, not a place. Uh, and not just kind of a random collection of people, but a community of people who are gathered around a specific purpose to follow Jesus and learn with him to demonstrate the reality of his rule and reign in the world. We've been talking about five kind of priorities or practices that define the church. Worship, community, service, formation, and generosity. You see, the church, the, the people of God are, are supposed to be a community that help us to put our worship in the right place. There's no such thing as someone who doesn't worship. We all worship. There are things that our hearts are designed to offer our affection and adoration to. We all worship. The question is, who do you worship or what do you worship? And is it actually helpful for you? And the church is supposed to be a community that helps us put our worship in the right place. Uh, the church is supposed to be a community. And this is one of the things that I, I love about the church is the church is supposed to be a community like no other, where regardless of age, gender, socioeconomic, background, race, that we are equal. 
Like every other part of society has all kinds of hierarchies in play of who's important and who's not, who's in and who's out. Not so in the church. You see, we were all created equally in the image of God, and we are supposed to be a community that learns to see each other with equal dignity, value, and worth, regardless of political opinion, regardless of what football team we support, regardless of what we spend our days and our weeks doing, learning to value each other. Here's a really important thing you understand about the church. The church is supposed to annoy you. It's so important. Like, it's supposed to be a community where people step on your toes. It's supposed to be a community where from time to time you get offended because it's supposed to be a community that's different and it's as we bump into those parts of each other that we actually get to learn to practice things like grace and forgiveness. It's one of the reasons why the church is designed to have multiple demographics in it and why it is so poor if it's not. Because it's as that happens that we get to see and learn to value each other equally. Service, the church is supposed to be a place that challenges us constantly to live beyond ourselves. We are constantly being formed into a way of life that says your needs are the most important thing in the world. What you want and what you need, they're really, really important. Like the idea, like 20 years ago, my kids um, think I'm a complete dinosaur, right? And it comes out all the time. And they talk about the olden days when I grew up. Um, <laughs> But sometimes then I actually think about like the world we live in now and the world I grew up in, which wasn't a long time ago, by the way. <laughs> but the idea that I could like push a button on my phone and the next day get whatever it was that I felt like I needed. And if it didn't arrive the next day, I would have legitimate rights to be really annoyed with the person that promised it would be there the next day. Like whatever I need, whatever I want, instantly. The church is supposed to be a place that helps us to live in a different direction, that says life is found when we actually endure discomfort for the sake of other people. That's as we practice that way of life that we discover there's life to be found there, that ordering your life around yourself will guarantee you one thing, you'll be lonely when you die. I know that's a wee bit intense, but it's very true. It's as we learn to live beyond ourselves that we find uh, real meaning. Formation, I touched on this a minute ago. The church is supposed to be a place where we change, that we are not doing our job right if we're the same this year as we were last year, that if we're just managing our issues, we're supposed to be a place where we change. And finally, generosity, we are supposed to be the most radical community in the wider community of generosity. That the world tells us we are to hold tight to whatever we have. And Jesus says we are to open our hands and live as stewards, not owners. Where we actually believe and live like God is our provider, not our employer. But our goal in this season is not just for better or more information for you, that, that we've succeeded if come December I do like a pop quiz on the church and you all have the right answers. That's not what we're aiming for here. We are moving towards a moment together at the end of November where we're going to invite you to commit to these five practices for the next year. For 2024, that you're going to commit to a life 
of worship, of service, of community, of generosity, and of formation. And we're going to help you think through exactly what that is. And we've called this series Here for Now. Um, <clears throat> that maybe sounds a wee bit like, well, I'm just here for now. It's more about like, actually, no, I'm here for now. Like right now, in this moment in my life, I am fully here. We're not asking you to commit for the next 40 years. We know that life happens and jobs change and house moves and all that sort of stuff. And we prayed for some of our dear friends who've emigrated to Canada through the summer. We know that happens. But what if actually for a year we went, we're going to really go after this? And this time next year, kind of spoiler alert, my suspicion is I'll maybe ask you to do it again for 2025. Um, but for now, for now, we're thinking about 2024 and... Uh, we're going to invite you to commit to that. But one of the questions we get often uh, at newcomers' events is, um, how do I join LVV? Or if, if somebody has been maybe from a more church background, they ask the question, what does it mean to be a member here? And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a funny, it's a funny kind of question because we've said for the last 11 years to be a part of this community, to be a member of this community, all you need to do is show up. Our doors are open to absolutely everyone and anyone. For those of us who are not yet sure what we think about Jesus or God, um, for those of us who are convinced who he is and are trying to do everything we can to follow him and everything in between, this is supposed to be a community where everyone and anyone feels welcome and can belong. We had a funny moment several years ago. Uh, Laura Laverty was on our staff team at the time, and she came to me after service, and she was white as a sheet. And she said to me, Andy, I have terrible news. And I said, gosh, what's, what's happened? And she said, someone has stolen the offering. And I went, yes! <laughs> and she kind of looked at me like, what, what do you mean, yes? And I said, I love it that we're at a kind of church where there are people here that would steal the offering. Now, sad for me, it turned out that actually someone had just moved it. <laughs> but it makes me sad when I walk around here on a Sunday morning, I see people who've left phones on chairs or handbags under seats. Because my longing is that this community is full of people who are far from God trying to figure out their life. I had an old mentor in the States who used to say, a mark of the New Testament church is sexual immorality and heresy. Because we're supposed to be full of people who are trying to find their way towards Jesus. We are not a community who's got everything sorted out. We've got our lives all neat and tidy. We never have doubts. We never have questions. We never make mistakes. We never mess up. It all looks great and is great. That just couldn't be further from the truth. This is a community of human beings, that the church is equally beautiful and broken because it's full of people. And to be a part of this community, all you need to do is show up, to just turn up to whatever we're doing, you're welcome. Whatever's going on in your life, you're welcome. You're welcome. But there are those among us who started at community but have ended up in a very different place. Uh, there, there are those of you um, in the room that joined us in Haslam's Lane in a really dingy shop front with an awkward red wall and a funny shaped room. 
and just wept as we worshipped. There are those of you who joined us in Palm Park Primary School and couldn't stand up and worship because you just cried or through talks just find yourself undone. There are those of you who that's happened to here at every stage in our community's life. That has been consistent as people who are far from Jesus or desperate for something to change in their lives have commended these sorts of environments and just cried. People tell me it all the time. And as they go on that journey, they get caught up in a very different conversations. People who started there but now find themselves reordering their entire lives around Jesus and committing to give all that they have to what he's doing in this region around the world through this expression of his church. That that is the trajectory that you're on if you start to listen to Jesus. That he will ask more of you than you believe you have. That's really, really important. The commitment is at the core of what it means to actually follow Jesus. Now, commitment's an interesting word in today's culture. It's not necessarily hugely valued. Um, I was uh, chatting with a neighbor of ours uh, several weeks ago. Do you remember that really amazing week of weather we had in September? It was like 24 degrees. It was a Saturday evening. I was over in his yard, which looks down over the Lagan Valley, and we were having a beer and chat, and we were doing that conversation that was like, you know, what's wrong with the world, and how do, we, how do you fix it? And he said something to me in the conversation that uh, blew my mind. He said, Andy, I'm going to tell you something that you'll never believe. And like when this particular individual says that, you kind of brace yourself. <laughs> and he said, do you know there are people in the world that don't even have effing dogs? I sort of <laughs> took a sip of my beer and said, I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I've been thinking about that ever since. Because um, what his point was actually is that we live in an age that avoids responsibility. That we have somehow decided that if I can delay responsibility and limit my commitments to their absolute minimum, then my, my life will be good. And you know what's funny? The absolute inverse is totally true. Your life might be more comfortable, but it will be absent of meaning. It's commitment and responsibility that give us purpose. Jesus understands that, which is why he constantly asks us to give more than we feel like we are able to. You can't do anything worth anything in the world without commitment. You can't buy anything without commitment. A great marriage is impossible without great commitments. Parenting requires us to commit time and time and time again. And following Jesus requires commitment. One of the things that breaks my heart a little bit is if you want to see what commitment looks like today, maybe don't go to the church, go to a CrossFit gym. <laughs> you don't go anymore. God bless you. <laughs> I think it's one of the reasons why we, we aren't a compelling community sometimes. Because we're not committed. See, what happens whenever we live wholehearted, committed lives before Jesus is the world out there might go, I don't know if I agree, but I have to respect it. You're committed. You're committed. 
following Jesus requires, it requires commitment. And this is where we are unapologetically heading to a moment together at the end of November where we're going to ask you to commit. We're going to ask you to commit. Pre-COVID, we used to do an annual process that we called All In. And um, in the very early days, we used to do it over a weekend where we'd head away to like a retreat center or um, some sort of venue, and there may be 25 or 30 of us, and we'd talk through why commitment's really important, following Jesus and commitment to uh, Jesus, to each other, to his church, and the different commitments that we were going to make. And we would teach into these things, and then we would say it was really important, because you know that thing that sometimes happens, if any of you grew up around church at a youth weekend, where like the Saturday night, everybody's exhausted, and the worship's just right, and everybody cries, and you could all more or less walk anybody into a relationship with Jesus. <laughs> you know, it's just, you know. Sometimes those, that, that kind of atmosphere was, would be kind of present in these things, and so we would deliberately say, you're not allowed to respond now. You need to go away. You need to go away and think and pray. If you're married or you've got kids, to chat with your spouse, pray with your kids. And then the response was really fun. We sort of outgrew this being logistically possible. But the way we asked people to respond was they to text me their name and the words all in. That was how they responded um, in those days. And what was really fun is that I would get text messages at all times, day and night, for months after these weekends, I'll never forget, church was maybe only two and a half or three years old, I got a text message at four o'clock in the morning from a lady called Rachel with her name and the words all in. And a few days later, we were doing a church thing and I was like, Rachel, what was, what was going on at four in the morning? And she said, well, Andy, like part of my story that I haven't told you is that I was really broken by a church years ago. And actually promised myself that I would never be a part of a church ever again. And I've been doing that for years. And then I've somehow found my way into Lagan Valley Vineyard. And she said, the other night I realized that I couldn't love Jesus if I didn't love his church. And so, four o'clock in the morning, I sent the message. It's just... Really, really beautiful. Now, this is really, really important for you to understand. The people who commit to Jesus and his church are not the elite. They are not the special ones. They are simply those who are willing to sacrifice first and most for everybody else. This is so important because this kind of infects churches all the time where you get the kind of important special people that are some sort of unknown place having some kind of unknown conversations. But if you can do all the right things and show up in all the right places, then maybe you can get into that room where you get a say in what everything else is doing going on. This is not that. Choosing to commit here gets you nothing but the privilege to sacrifice first and most. It's really important that you don't feel any pressure about this at all. That on the 27th of November, it might be convenient for you to have a lie-in or go for a walk in Hillsborough Forest. It's not our heart for you. It's not our desire for you because we, we, we know that when we give our lives to Jesus wholeheartedly, following Jesus makes sense. When we're kind of half in, half out, it's just route one, the apathy, boredom, and usually getting really angry with God. It's kind of what happens. But there is no pressure and there are no strings attached to any of this. You see, we know that when you connect to Jesus, 
who asks for things from you. Seems like an okay deal considering he gave up everything for you. You see, when we start to follow Jesus, we're not trying to get fire insurance for when we die. We're being invited into a story that is unfolding all around us called the kingdom of God, where the order of heaven is invading the chaos of the world. And we learn how to inhabit that in our families, in our schools, in our businesses, in our places of work where we partner with the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name to demonstrate what the order of God looks like on earth. That's what we're trying to do, and it requires radical, radical commitment. I always find it funny when people think about what I and others like me do is the pinnacle of the godly life or calling, if only you knew me better. That if you want to be really serious about Jesus, then you should go into the ministry. It's another concept that just doesn't exist in here. There's no such thing as a follower of Jesus who's not in the ministry. It doesn't exist. All of us, everywhere, every day. One of the like fourth or fifth Sundays of Lagan Valley Vineyard's life, uh, this guy stopped me in the way to Haslam's Lane. He said, Andy, how do I get more involved around here? And I said, what do you do? And he said, I'm a lawyer. I said, figure out how to join in with Jesus there and you're in. That's all we're trying to do. What we so often consider the highest level of Christian calling, Jesus set out as basic entry-level discipleship. When he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything, he wasn't talking to a minister. He was talking to his followers. Unqualified men and women who had been following him. In Acts 1, when Jesus says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's speaking to the entire church. You see, for too long, we have created a theology that accommodates apathy and reduces the call of Jesus to prayer and church attendance. Show up to church on Sunday, throw a few coins in a basket, try not to swear, pray a bit if you remember and you've got it. But if you're really crazy, like if you're really crazy, Maybe you'll pray every day. If you're even crazier, maybe you'll pray and believe something might happen. And if you're absolutely out of your mind, you might pray and then actually go and do something about your prayers. You see, we've made the grave mistake, and cultures do this all the time, corporate cultures, work cultures, church cultures, where we make heroes out of those who are actually just living the normal Christian life. Because whenever we make them our heroes, there is no obligation for us to be living a life that looks like that. It's so important that we understand that culture is created by our minimum standard, not by our heroes. That the the culture of this community is created not by the heroes in this room, and there are lots of you, but it's by how we understand what following Jesus actually means. What does it mean for how we do family? What does it mean for how we handle our finances? What does it mean to how we posture ourselves towards our time and our energy and all those types of things? Following Jesus requires radical commitments, not least of all the commitment to lay our entire lives at his feet, to confess him as Lord over every part of our lives, 
which simply means to do whatever he says. Um, I've told you this story before, but forgive me. Uh, one of the boys was, uh, I think he was about six. I was putting him in the car. And he said, Dad, does God live in heaven? I thought, well, not really. And he kind of looked at me and I said, God, God actually lives everywhere, everywhere. But the really important thing for you to understand, son, is that God actually can live in here. And I kind of poked him in the heart. And I said, but here's the deal. God will only come and live in your life if you invite him. And so I, I, he just then straight away started to pray. He was like, okay, God, I want to invite you. And I said, whoa, 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 slow down. Hang on a second. And I said, son, here's the thing that you need to understand, that when you invite God into your life, to live in, in your life, what you're actually saying is, God, I want you to be the boss of my life. That's what you're saying. And without missing the beat, he was kind of on the outside of the car. He kind of looked past me and looked at the sky and said, that's okay, God, you can stay up there. <laughs> Classic pastor's kid, good theology, bad decisions, right? <laughs> that's what it means when we say we're following Jesus, is that we're making Jesus the boss of our lives. Not a part of our lives. Not giving him access to a moment. We actually invite him to be the boss. And that means he gets to speak to us about how we do everything. And our responsibility, if we're saying that we're making Jesus the boss, our responsibility is to do whatever he says. And that requires commitment. It's going to be really hard sometimes. You're going to feel abandoned sometimes. You will feel like your prayers are bouncing off ceilings sometimes. That's normal Christian life. And the thing that blows my mind about certain individuals that, that really make it, when I have the privilege of sitting with friends in their 70s and 80s who've committed to follow Jesus their whole lives is not that their lives have been absent of trial but that they've never doubted. It's that they committed to walk with Jesus faithfully regardless of what was going on in their lives. Joining in with Jesus requires us to commit to his way of life with his people. It requires us to commit to his way of life with his people, to commit to worship to a life of service, community, formation, and generosity. And that's where we're headed. It's one of the reasons why this talk is, is here, because we're going to take the next number of weeks to unpack exactly what does it mean to commit to these things. And then, like I said, on the 27th of November, we're going to invite you to actually do that. Um, but this is why this talk is here and not the Sunday before the 27th. Is what we want to do together is take this really seriously. You'll tell, hopefully, that we don't take ourselves that seriously. Um, but we take the things of Jesus and the things that he said more serious than anything else in our lives. And so we want to invite you to take these next six weeks or so to talk, to pray, to listen to Jesus. And to see if this community at this time is the place for you to say, Jesus, I'm in. I'm in with you and I'm in with them. And here's the deal. If you actually think, do you know what? 
this, this community isn't for me. That's okay. That's totally okay. In fact, that's probably good news so long as you go and find one that is. Because we were never supposed to follow Jesus absent of his church. Alex, why didn't you, the guys come on back up? Um, I want to take a moment just to, to respond together. Um, and we were sort of thinking about, or I was thinking this week, I say we, it was me and myself. Um, <laughs> you're all like, find a different church quickly. <laughs> um, I was thinking about, well, how do you land this one? Because really the response is, go and pray and listen to Jesus and talk. Um, but regardless of whether you choose to actually commit to this community of faith or not, uh, our hope is that you will com commit to a community of faith and that you'll commit to following Jesus. That's the ultimate kind of goal, that you'll commit to following Jesus with us or with another group of people somewhere. Um, and so we're, we're going to um, finish with that old hymn, I've Decided to Follow Jesus. Conscious there may be some of you in the room that have never done that that you've maybe flirted with religion, you've maybe been put off by the good living thing. Um, some of you may be thinking, well, I, I would, I'll maybe follow Jesus once I get all my questions answered. <laughs> Sorry, that place doesn't exist. <laughs> the deeper I get, the more questions I have, um, is the honest truth. Um, but we know Jesus is alive and he's working in the world and he welcomes you to his family. Not to get your life all cleaned up and sorted out before you come, but to just come and commit to follow him. So if you're able, will you stand? My wee nephew's name is Abel, and um, he keeps asking his daddy, John, how do they know my name? <laughs> so cute. Um, We teach our, our kids this thing of trying to say with our bodies what we're saying with our hearts. That's why we lift our hands. Uh, there's, there's nothing magical in it. It's just a physical expression of what's going on inside. And so um, why don't you just uh, open your hands in front of you. There's no magic in it. It's just a physical posture of, Jesus, I'm open. Holy Spirit, we welcome you among us now. We thank you. God, we thank you that you refuse to leave us where we are that you call us to lives of radical commitment for the sake of the world. And that we ask that you would forgive us for the times when we have reduced discipleship to meaningless things. When we have reduced following you to some kind of religious dogma. Lord, we ask that you would be alive in our lives. That you would call us beyond ourselves. And that you would fill us with courage to commit to you and to your people. Jesus, name we pray. Let's worship together.